So let's open to Ephesians chapter 1 and stand for the reading of our scripture, our sermon text. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. We continue on in uh, a few sermons uh, answering the question, what is the church? This is the word of the Lord. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Like I said, we started last Sunday thinking through that question, what is the church? And the main point that I wanted to get across to you last week is that we erroneously believe that the church is unnecessary. That it's unnecessary or that that the best elements of the church are done better outside the church and don't have the baggage of the church. And so let's get rid of the church. We believe we can everything we need spiritually outside of the church. Because of cultural influences, individualism and materialism, postmodernism, anti-authoritarianism, which I think is the biggest ism of the day. We hate authority. We're being taught more and more to hate authority. I thought it was bad 20 years ago. It's worse today. But all of those cultural influences, um, and because of our own just innate sinful pride, we're all proud, we all have sin in us, we believe that the church is perhaps sometimes important, but generally unnecessary. We're Americans, we like to call our own shots. We like our independence, right? We like our individual individualness, individuality. That's what we like. That's what we thrive in. That's what we aim for, right? I mean, some some of our our biggest goals are to remove ourselves from society, get a big piece of land, go agrarian, and have no dependence on anybody. And that's a completely unchurch-like move. Okay? I mean, it just indicates a character that would think that the church, this, this gathering of people um, in a local body is unnecessary. But Scripture paints a, a starkly different picture. Scripture says that the church is the household of God. So if the church is unnecessary, then you're, you're basically saying, I don't need God's household. I don't need God as my father. She is the pillar in support of the truth. The church is. The church puts, puts up the truth, you know, and supports it and um, is a buttress for the truth. She is the one who will not be overcome by the gates of hell, 
Matthew 16, 18, the church will not be overcome by the gates of hell. And so there's strength in the church, not even the gates of hell. She's the body of Christ of which Jesus is the head. And so if you're not a part of of a local manifestation of the church, then, well, you're you're not connected to the body. And that body has Jesus as the head. The church is the whole, the combined group of those whom the Father gave to His Son before the foundation of the world, John 17. It's the whole of what what God and the Son, the Father, were dealing with before the creation of the world. They had, yes, you individually in mind, but they had the church as you are incorporated into the church in mind. God had that in mind. And the church is the bride of Christ, the wife of the Lamb. The wife of the Lamb. Jesus has a wife. And it's this church. It's the church. And so you see how Scripture describes the church. And to think of it as superfluous or or semi-important or even unnecessary is just shockingly off the mark. I related to you that quote from Cyprian that our Reformed forefathers in the faith often quoted, the man who won't have the church as his mother may not have God as his father. Which just sort of encapsulates, puts it into a stark saying, right? If you're not going to have the church as your mother, then you're severing yourself from God. God has said he's going to be here. His special presence will be in the church as it was in the temple. There's a lot compacted into that one statement. The man who won't have the church as his mother may not have God as his father. Here's one meaning. The person who throws off the authority of the church is throwing off the authority of God. If God is the one who established the society of the church and gave rules and regulations for her, and defined what sort of leaders she should have, and then sent his son to purify her and lead her to marriage, you better believe that those who reject the church, reject, <laughs> they reject God the Father. Those who reject the church, those who don't care about what God has raised up and made, don't care about God. And so the person who rejects the church is his own authority severed from Christ. And so when someone tells you that, you know, they they you know, they're a Christian but they don't go for all that church stuff, you should say you've severed yourself from Christ. You've cut yourself off from being his wife. You've cut yourself off. You're, you're, you're an anomaly. You're, there, no one has ever been like you in the history of the church. No one. Given the prominent, prominent position of the church, the gathered society of believers in Jesus in the New Testament, it is quite clear that that statement by Cyprian is biblical. 
when faith opens the eyes of an individual, when the Spirit works on the heart of an individual, God then puts a love in that individual's heart for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And where are they found? They're found in the church. They're found in the church, the household of God. They're found in the household. They've been incorporated into the house. And those who have had God work in their hearts and put love for their brothers and sisters in his heart and are found in the church, they want to be where Jesus has set his own affections. This is his wife. He loves her. They want to be where God has raised up shepherds to lead and tend his flock, where God has given his sacraments to nourish his people and distinguish them from the world. That's what the sacraments do, right? Where God has put his word as the centerpiece for all of their activities. They want to be with those who worship Jesus Christ. They want to know the unity and love of the Spirit. They want to know and experience the the love and kindness and the fruit of the Spirit that they receive from other believers. That's where they want to be. That's the church. That's the church. That's That's not crew. That's not campus outreach. You know, that's not Bible study fellowship. It's not. It's not those things. You know, um, parachurch ministries do a lot of things better than the church, but you should always prefer your weak little church's efforts than the sophisticated efforts of parachurch ministries. Because <laughs> God wants you to love the people of your church. I mean, we could, all, we, we could all stay home and put R.C. Sproul sermons on, and you would be fed better than I feed you. As far as theological content, it'd be way better. I know that. We all know that. But you wouldn't receive an exhortation from somebody who's been living around you and with you. That's the difference. That's the difference. Shepherds are with their sheep. You know? But perhaps that's the part that you don't like about the church is the shepherds (laughs) are with the sheep. You'd rather have R.C. Sproul not with you, but giving downloading spiritual truths, you know, in a really great way, with a cigar poking out of his mouth, and a whiskey in the other hand. We've Americanized We've consumerized the church, and that should just make us all want to vomit. Consumerize the church, right? Our faith is our own, and insofar as the church fits into our own individual faith, we'll give it a place in our lives. 
Now, undoubtedly, God deals with us as individuals, so don't hear what I'm not saying in this, right? I'm not not putting forward some idea of corporate justification, right? God does deal with you as individuals. When we are converted, we have the right sense that God is dealing with our souls individually, one-on-one. He's dealing right with us. That's true, but the first thing God does when he converts us is, is to provide us a place he created in order for us to be nourished and grow. He leads us to our mother, the church, where we will be nourished at her breast. Yet, because our conversions were individual matters, we have a tendency to think that a whole, the whole of our Christian walks are just individual matters. Okay, James Bannerman. Get ready, I'm going to quote an old dead Presbyterian a lot, so you've got to listen extra well. Okay. James Bannerman is a 19th century Presbyterian. Um, He wrote a book called The Church of Christ. And it's the best thing that I've read on polity, on what is the church, the question we're talking about. And he wrote about the seeming struggle between individualism and the corporate body, the church. There's a struggle here, and and he acknowledges that. He says, perhaps there are a few few who confess Jesus Christ to be the author and finisher of their faith, who do not also confess in one sense or other that he is the founder and head of a society destined to embrace all his followers and fitted to be of permanent continuance, right? So he's, he's, he's struggling with this. God deals with us as individuals. He also created the church and were to be together. Men may differ widely as to their notions of of the kind of community which Christ has actually established, but few, if any, will be found to deny that Christianity is designed to be something more than the religion of individuals, bound together by no tie and gathered into no outward society. Few would argue that. Because of the prominence of the place of the bride of Christ and the church in Scripture. Now remember, Bannerman is writing in 1869. And in Scotland. And that last statement he makes that few will be found to deny that Christianity is about individuals and not the church is simply not true today. Everybody thinks Christianity is a religion of individuals. As I tried to establish in the last sermon, I, that is our default position. Christianity is a religion of individuals. We assume Christianity is about me, not about the church. I'm hoping you know, that we can be cleansed of that self-centeredness. Bannerman goes on. He says, In its primary and most important aspects, indeed, the revelation of God contained in the Bible is a revelation to me individually. It discover, its discoveries of sin 
and announcements of judgment, its intimations of grace and its proclamations of a Savior, its offer of an atoning blood to expiate and a regenerating spirit to purge transgression, these are addressed to me individually. And if I deal with them at all, I must deal with them as if there were no other in the world except myself and God. Alone with God, I must realize the Bible as if it were a message from Him to my solitary self, singled out and separated from other men, and feeling my own individual responsibility in receiving or rejecting it. So in other words, God does deal with us as individuals, as individual souls. And if you have not had that experience, that late night all by yourself experience of God dealing with you and with your sin, you may not be converted. That experience of conversion is personal. And ironically, the person who has not had that conversion experience may think that salvation consists in church attendance or by virtue of being born into a Christian home or by doing this or that. Bannerman goes on, but, okay, he's just said, yeah, individual, we get that, right? We get it. We understand God deals with us as individuals. That's true. But the Bible does not stop there. It deals with man not as a solitary unit in his relation to God, but also as a member of a spiritual society gathered together in the name of Jesus. It is not a mere system of doctrines to be believed and precepts to be observed by each individual Christian independently of others and apart from others. You see how that is what we believe. We believe Christianity in its entirety is believing, individually believing certain precepts, certain doctrines, and that's it. That's Christianity. I mean, that's, that's what most evangelists think. They don't care about the church. They want each individual to walk up the aisle and make a profession. And then the church doesn't even fit into it. Right? Street preachers. Street preachers want to convert one individual and they say nothing about the church. And so, we believe Christianity in its entirety is believing, individually believing certain precepts, certain doctrines. We believe we can do that in our own individual brains just as well, if not thoroughly better, than we can do so as a member of a church with elders and pastors who meddle. <laughs> who meddle and shout in the pulpit. Treat us like sheep. Bannerman, again, it is not a mere system of doctrines to be believed 
and precepts to be observed by each individual Christian independently of others and apart from others. It is a system of doctrines and precepts designed and adapted for a society of Christians. Society. A society of Christians. This agreement and cooperation of men holding the same faith and the same Savior is not an accidental or voluntary union which has grown up of itself. It is a union designed beforehand, appointed from the beginning by God, and plainly contemplated and required in every page of the New Testament Scriptures. So he's saying like, it didn't just, like we had an individual religion and then because we all have this individual religion, we kind of got together and we're like, hey, we got the same religion, that's great. No, he's like, no, it's way more intentional on God's part. God made the church. It's written on every page of the New Testament. He goes on, there are precepts in the Bible addressed not to believers separately, but to believers associated together in a corporate society. There are duties that are enjoined upon the body and not upon the members of it of which it is composed. There are powers assigned to the community to which the individuals of the community are strangers. There is a government, an order, a code of laws, a system of ordinances and officers described in the scripture which can apply to none other than a collective association of Christians. And then listen to this. Listen, I've got it bolded. It's bolded on my iPad. But it's reversed, so it's really white. Without the existence of a church or of a body of believers as contradistinguished from believers individually, very much of what is contained in the Bible would be unintelligible and without practical application. Without the existence of a church or of a body of believers as distinguished from believers individually, a lot of what is contained in the scripture would not make any sense. It wouldn't make sense at all. It wouldn't have any practical application. Choose from among yourselves men filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just Suddenly that doesn't make any sense if we're just individual Christians with brains that are Christianized? If you, in other words, if you read your Bible, you will find that in order to be obedient to our Heavenly Father, there is no getting around the church. To submit ourselves to the church is to obey God. How would you follow these blessed commands put down in Scripture for you good if it was just about individualism? Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. There is no possible way to do that outside of the church. If you are your own leader, and it's a church of one, there is no submission. If you are your own leader and there's a church of one, there's only your own self-awareness and vigilance to keep 
guard over your souls. But God says, I'm going to put you in a society, and there'll be leaders, and I'm going to call them to do this work, and they're going to get ordained in the laying on of hands, and that's going to be powerful, and that's going to lead them to shepherd you and to keep watch over your souls. But all of that doesn't make sense if Christianity is just You think Jesus is God and you're going to think that for the rest of your life and you're going to do it individually. And you're going to make up strange things from the Word of God in your room all by yourself when you have your your church services of one. And you'll be a heretic in about six months. You really will. 1 Corinthians 12 But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Oh, I can't get around that one. Right? If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now they are many members, but one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head to the feet, I don't need you. Feet. Stinky feet. If you have decided to be the eye that says to the hand, I have no need of you, you are denying that, as the passage says, God has placed the members in the body just as he desired. And if you are isolated, you have only one function. Let's see how you get along, you know, appendix. Detached from the body. Let's see how you get along, brain. Detached from the body. Let's see how you get along, fingernail. Detached from the body. If you are a hand, you lack the function of the bowels and the brains. And you need them. You need them. Romans 12, 3 through 8, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. See, God has brought us together to have a multiplicity of gifts active at one time, all of which we need active all the time. Off by yourself, you may have the gift of generosity, right? But but you're not being pushed to serve and to prophesy and to teach and to lead. Where are you able to exercise your gifts or receive the good benefits of others' gifts if you are not in the society, this body of believers, the, the individuals constituted in the body? And then, and then think of this. What about all those one another passages? 
There's just tons of them in Scripture. And we think, well, those are the ones that I can do individually by myself. You know, I can one another anybody. I can, I can do that. Um, those who reject the church say they are still able to fulfill those one another passages outside the church. Yeah, right. Just like I, you know, who, who have never been to, uh, for example, a staff meeting with the Detroit Tigers, can refer to the team with the pronoun we. You know, we lost in the American League Championship Series. We need to fire the manager. We need a new coach. We, we need some pitchers, right? Actually, we need to overhaul the entire team. But those we's are empty. They're absolutely meaningless. They're a vapor. So it is with the individual who believes he's fulfilling the one another commands while isolated. You're not on the team. You're not on the team. This is who you want another. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who you prefer in your one anothering. You know, we care for the church first. I mean, I could read some, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Disciples are loving one another, right? Romans 12, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Romans 15, therefore accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you for the glory of God. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Oh, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Well, if you're off by yourself, eh, you don't get that. That's unimportant. You know, that's just, that's just a memorial. It's, it's no means of grace. So, I mean, Philippians 2.3, Colossians 3.16, 1 Thessalonians 4.9, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Hebrews 3.13, 1 John 1.7, 1 Peter 4.8, James 5.16, Hebrews 10.24. I'll read that one. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds... Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Oh man, hard to get around that one. Come together. Some forsake the assembling together. Some have forsaken the church. Let's not be like that. Your ability to fulfill these commands of Scripture, the one another's, commands of your loving Father in heaven requires that you be on the team. The we's have to be real we's and not the theoretical we's of the sports fan. fan. If you have been united to Christ through rebirth, through regeneration, you must be a part of his body or else you are serving your, severing yourself from that body. You will languish and you will die outside of that as you will have no nourishment from the head and the rest of the body. You may have come to faith through intensely individual circumstances. But God leads his children by the hand to the church, to the bride of Christ, the society of the saved, the household of God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And he says, there I'm going to be with you, and these are your people. 
Now love one another. Now see the glory of the gifts being exercised. Now, now um, be nourished. Grow. Grow. Do not cut yourself off. If you are on the fringes of this church, if you come to Sunday morning service only, that I consider you on the fringes. Okay? And I'm worried about it. I'm not, I'm not angry with you. I, it, it, it's, I, it, it used to affect my ego. It doesn't anymore. But I've just seen so many people who are on the fringes of the church just dispense with the church entirely. They just go. They just, they go and they still consider themselves Christians. And it, it's mind-boggling to me that they would forsake the bride of Christ and consider themselves Christians. Forsake the sacraments. Forsake the preaching of the word. Forsake submitting themselves to those who want to care for their souls. It, it, it happens all the time. So, so if you are on the fringes of the church, beware. The devil's going to tempt you to sever yourself. The devil's going to sift you like wheat. The devil wants to break you away from all the love that you would receive here and isolate you. That is one of the techniques of the devil is to isolate. Okay? Don't isolate yourself. If you're, if you're, if you are a, if you are an extreme introvert, you must get to work making sure the devil doesn't separate you and kill you from this church. You really have to. You have to open up. You have to love one another. This is God's church, and it is glorious, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and it will be here until the end. And then Christ will come back, and the church will be glorified and purified, never molested again. It won't be a church militant. It will be a church triumphant. And then we'll really know the glory of the society of the redeemed. Oh, it will be glorious to tr for me to be able to finally love you as I ought will be glorious. It will be wonderful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you for putting us in your church. Lord, forgive us for our emaciated thoughts about her and her glory and ultimately about Christ and his redemption and you as our Father. May the Holy Spirit work in our hearts to stir up our lo love for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for the society of the redeemed the household of God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.